And as we were singing those songs, and I was thinking about the text this morning and, and thinking about Romans 8, I realized something, that for most of us, the message goes right over our head. For most of us, we, we just don't get it. Sometimes as I'm preaching the Word of God, I look out, I see light bulbs coming on, and I see people grasping, yeah, the Holy Spirit's teaching, the Holy Spirit is leading us into truth, and there's nods of agreement and amens and, and that sort of thing. And there are other times as, as I preach and teach the Word of God, I see faces that must look a lot like my face used to look sitting in trig class. Because uh, when I took trig, I, I sat there thinking, what? And, you, you, and sometimes I did what some of you do. I, I just kind of gave up, laid my head on the desk, went to sleep. Uh, because trig was just over my head. And, and the truth of the matter is that the, the, the principles that we'll look at in Romans chapter 8 are so basic, so fundamental, we can't grasp what Christian living is all about if we don't grasp this chapter. But yet they can also be so profound and, and, and so deep. If the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth itself, is not our teacher and our God, we won't get it. And the way we can tell that some aren't getting it is, is their life never changes, and there's no joy in their face because it hasn't gotten hold of their heart. And so I want to ask you this morning to turn to Romans chapter 8. Let's look at these first few verses. It's, it's hard to come up with a title for the series. It's just Romans 8. What, what else can we say? But the message this morning is titled, Set Free. As you're standing, let's read the first four verses of this great chapter together. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled or fully met in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Father, we completely depend this morning on your Holy Spirit to lead us into a truth that will transform our lives. Lord, I know that there are many under the sound of my voice that need to be set free. And I pray that your spirit and the spirit of truth, the word of God, will do a liberating work in our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Last week, we looked at, in our God and Country service, Scripture that reminded us that we are free to choose to lose our freedom. This morning, I want to talk about a freedom that if you grasp it, you can't lose this freedom. You know, there were many slaves after the Emancipation Proclamation, after the Civil War, there were many slaves who chose not to live a life free from their masters. They chose either because some masters treated their slaves better than others, and so they thought it might be comfortable to kind of stay and work where they were working for minimal pay, or they were fearful of some kind of new life outside of what they had always known. 
But I believe there is something in the imago Dei, the image of God in every one of us that desires freedom. We want to be free. Why do we value freedom? Why do we desire freedom? I believe it's that that image of God, that part of the image of God in us that doesn't want to be bound by the things of this world. And Romans 8 begins to describe what it means to be free in Christ. Dr. Danny Aiken, who was my theology professor in seminary, made the statement that all Scripture is equally inspired. From Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture is equally inspired. But he went on to teach and say that that does not mean all Scripture has equal importance. For instance, the book of Amos or the book of Obadiah may not be as significant to you as the Gospel of John. I mean, why is it when somebody comes to faith in Christ, we encourage them to read the Gospel of John rather than memorize Leviticus? It's because maybe perhaps we're under the New Covenant because it describes the life of Christ. John chapter 3 deals with what it means to be born again. There are reasons that certain chapters in certain books of the Bible are more important to us, even though it is all equally inspired and relevant to us. Dr. Adrian Rogers at a seminar that I had the opportunity to sit in on where he was doing kind of a Q&A was asked this question, if you could only have one book of the Bible, what book of the Bible would that be? And he responded, I would have the book of Romans. It is the Apostle Paul's dissertation on salvation. So if I could only have one book of the whole Bible, I would have the book of Romans. From the book of Romans, we get the, what we call the Roman road that leads us to a clear understanding of the gospel and a way to communicate that gospel. But he went on to add to his answer, he said, but if I could only have one chapter in all the Bible, I would have Romans chapter 8. Another commentator made this statement about Romans chapter 8. He said, if the Bible is a precious ring, the book of Romans is like the jewel that sits on top of that ring, and Romans chapter 8 is like the sparkle in the jewel. And so if you're not getting the point, what I'm trying to say this morning is Romans 8 is a wonderful, remarkable chapter that we have the joy of studying together over this next month. And I I pray that you'll bring your Bible, turn your Bible app on, whatever you have to do, and let's study this together, read it at home, make it part of your quiet time, but let's begin to dig. We will never exhaust the riches of Romans chapter 8 in a month, but let's begin to discover some of the riches that God has for each one of us. If we grasp the truths and discover the treasures of this chapter, we would cease to live as believers such defeated lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 32 that if we know the truth, it'll do something for us. He said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth will make you free. And if we get the truth of this chapter then we will experience more freedom in life, more passion to live free than ever before. And there's a couple of liberating truths I want to deal with just in these first four verses. And and I believe this morning that I'm only going to try to spend time on the first point. And, And here are those truths. The first one is that we are set free from condemnation because of Christ's work in justification. 
We are set free from condemnation because of Christ's work in justification. Now, next week I'm going to deal with the Spirit-filled life and some of the verses that follow these, verse 4. But I believe the second point of uh, the, the text this morning, which would say that we are set free from obligation because of the Holy Spirit's work in sanctification, will lay the foundation for that. But, but I feel led to just kind of to, to push that second part to next week because I'm convinced that this first point that I'm making in, the, in this message needs to be meditated upon, needs to be grasped, that, that some of you, I need to see those light bulbs coming on, that the Holy Spirit of God needs to convince you that you are set free from condemnation. Now, this sounds all theological. And I know that there are preaching schools out there today that would say, Pastor, don't use all of these theological words. Just, just keep it simple. Just make it where people can understand it. So what I'm going to seek to do with the help of the Holy Spirit is make that which is profoundly theological very simple because the bottom line is theology is the study of God. And if we don't study who God is and understand the theology of this book, we will not understand the truth that sets us free. And so we can't escape being theological because that which is theological must become spiritual and practical in your life and my life. We are set free from condemnation because of Christ's work in justification. In Christ, you and I are free from the very penalty of sin. And next week we'll discover that we are also free from the power of sin. Justification means to be declared righteous. Justification means that God says concerning you and me when it comes to sin, not guilty. Not guilty. We are set free from condemnation because of Christ's work and justification. When he died on Calvary's cross, when he said it is finished, he had paid the price for my sins and your sins, past, present, and future, That price was applied to your life and my life when we, by faith, trusted in Christ. We are saved, as Romans, the entire book teaches, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. So at the moment we trust Christ as our Savior and Lord, we have that justification applied to our life. We are declared at that moment, past, present, and future, not guilty. Verse 1 says, therefore. Now, Romans has, up until this point, described the sin problem. And when you get to Romans chapter 7, you begin to understand why he says, therefore, in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is arguing that the natural man can't do what is right. You say, well, I know some people who aren't saved that do some good things. Listen, apart from faith, everything is sin. So even the good things that people do apart from Christ is considered evil or filthy rags in the sight of God because the motives aren't the same as the motives for those who are in Christ, those who have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so he says, the good that I want to do, I can't do. The bad that I don't want to do, that's all I find myself doing. The natural man cannot do that which is right. We've got a sin problem. We are sinners at birth by nature, and we are sinners by choice. By nature, all have been born with a sin nature since Adam 
and Eve. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says that we are all by nature children of wrath from the moment that we are born. The psalmist said in Psalm 51.5 that he was a sinner from the moment of conception. Before he even saw this world, he had a sin nature. And so we are all sinners by nature and by choice. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Do we sin because we're sinners or are we sinners because we sin? See, it's, it's a circular argument. We are born with a sin nature and as a result we make choices, sinful choices, simply because we inherited Adam's nature. Listen, that's why my argument with sinful lifestyles that are tolerated in the world today. That's why my argument with, with the homosexual lifestyle isn't too much involved in whether or not they were born that way. And listen, I believe that it's possible to, to state an argument. Well, no one is born that way. They make choices or they experience dysfunctional environments that lead them into making decisions to do unnatural behaviors. And that may be true. Here's why I don't waste my time trying to argue that. The reason I don't waste my time trying to argue that is because I know that the Bible teaches that we are all, at birth, sinners by nature and by choice. So it's much easier for me to argue simply this. You may have a natural inclination to desire something that is sinful. The simple fact that you desire it, though, does not make it right. If a man says, I can't deny these homosexual desires, to me that is no different than another man saying, I can't deny the desire to commit adultery. I can't deny the desire to gossip. I can't deny the desire to steal and to cheat and to lie. And the truth is, the natural man cannot deny sinful desires. The natural will even choose that which is unnatural if it rejects the one who is supernatural. We have a choice to receive the supernatural work and grace of God in our lives. And when we reject that, according to Romans chapter 1, we begin to make decisions that lead us into even unnatural behaviors. So I don't try to argue whether or not somebody was born that way because I know all are born sinners by nature and by choice. They are born with sinful desires. What I do argue is the desire to do something in the natural man does not make it right. As a matter of fact, the natural man can do no right if we get down to the very motives of why they do what they do. Lies, drunkenness, theft, adultery, laziness, gluttony, all destructive behavior condemns us. It condemns us. We stand condemned before Almighty God because of sinful choices. And that's not a popular message today. It's not popular even for pastors in evangelical churches across this land to stand and say that everyone is a sinner by nature and by choice until they have been declared righteous, not guilty, by Almighty God through the grace of God when they trust Christ as Savior and Lord. 
The neo-Orthodox movement. By the way, neo-Orthodox is just another way, if you hadn't called on to this, of saying liberal. When we refer to the neo-Orthodox, we're talking about people who do theologically what, what, what political liberals do with the Constitution. They do it with the Bible. Uh, political liberals take the Constitution and they say, well, it's a living document, so we'll, we'll change it to mean whatever we want it to mean as times go by. A, a theological liberal, neo-Orthodox Christian, will say, you know what, we'll just make the Bible believe what we want it to believe rather than take it at face value for what God said. And, and they've come along and, and they constantly pick and choose which verses they believe are inspired and throw out the ones that they don't like. And so the neo-Orthodox movement is constantly reminding us of John 3.17, which I am so grateful is in the Bible. We all know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And so the neo-Orthodox comes along and says, Let me remind you of John 3.17, for the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. And so they'll say, we can't preach on sin. That condemns. We can't call things sin. Well, that's condemnation. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the sin, condemn sin, but that, that through Him the world might be saved. But listen, why does the world need to be saved? Those who will argue that we should focus more on John 3.17 should also argue for John 3.18, which says the world is already condemned. The reason the Son, Jesus, came into this world not to condemn the world is not because he thought all sin was okay. The reason he didn't come into the world to condemn the world is because of sin the world was already condemned. And so he came to save a condemned world. The problem is, if we don't understand that we are experiencing condemnation, we won't reach up for salvation. And so we have to understand There is a thing called sin, that which is unrighteous in the eyes of Almighty God. And we stand condemned as a result of sin until the moment that we put our faith and trust in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation, 8-1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the world stands condemned already. But when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, receiving Him as the Lord of our lives, as Savior, His blood cleanses our sin, washes us from all unrighteousness. And He says, as a result of being in Christ, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation, the the word here for condemnation, has to do with both the guilty verdict and the sentence. If someone is tried for a crime... They are declared, if they are found guilty, they are declared guilty. That's the sentence, or or that's the condemnation. But then they serve out a sentence, and, and, and this word has to do for both the declaration of guilt as well as the sentence they will serve. So, so it's both the guilty verdict and the sentence. And, and so here's what he does. He prefaces this word condemnation with the Greek word ukedi. Say, so, oh, it's no big deal, right? See, it's a different word for no. It is a Greek, this is not going to impress most of you, but it's Greek, an emphatic negative adverb of time. Well, Pastor, what in the world does that mean? It's an emphatic negative adverb of time. Here's why that's important. 
It means that you are not only free from the verdict and declared not guilty, it means you are forever free from the accusation and forever free from the sentence. Past, present, future, you are free from condemnation because of what Christ did for you when you are found in Him. Christ is our advocate. But Satan is the prosecuting attorney. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And he is still accusing the brethren. Now here's why it becomes very significant for so many of you who are already saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You say, Pastor, this morning I came to church knowing that I am 100% saved, born again, child of God, but I don't always live free. It's because Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is still crying out. Listen, even though you've been saved, he's still crying out. But you know you're guilty. But you know you're guilty. As he's being escorted out of the courtroom, he'll, he's still saying, but you know you're guilty. You know you're guilty. Oh, oh you've been... Jesus was a, a very wonderful advocate. You had a great lawyer on your side, but you know, you know, you know, you know that you're guilty. And we listen to that. And what we spend many of the days of the rest of our lives striving for is some casual level of comfort found from this statement. We look for a casual level of comfort by saying, you know, my sins are in the past. My, my sins are in the past. We draw some comfort from that. My, my sins, yeah, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. My sins are in the past. My sins are in the past. You know the Bible never calls you a sinner after you're saved. It calls you a saint. It doesn't even call you a sinner saved by grace. You're, you're a saint. It uses the word sinner as past tense. It's what I was, not what I am today. And so we're striving for a casual comfort level. My sin is in the past. My sin is in the past. My sin is in the past. When Jesus wants each one of us to experience the inexpressible joy of being able to say, what sin? What sin? My sin's not in the past. My sin no longer exists. I have been declared righteous. I have been declared not guilty. The Lord laid on him who knew no sin, the sins of us all, that we might become the righteousness of God in him and in him alone. See, why is it important to grasp this? See, the me I see really is the me I will be. If you're going around and you say, I know that I'm a child of God, but there's a sin, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares or entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. If there's a sin we struggle with that so easily ensnares us, and we're, we're battling with that, if the devil can just get us to say in our mind and in our heart, you know what? I've already blown it. I've already blown it. Then we will continue in it. Well, I've, I've already messed up. 
And so there's a teenage girl somewhere. She, she already feels dirty, so she keeps on participating in the behavior because she's listened to the condemnation of the enemy. There's a young man who continues to do the same things because he says, I've already blown it. But when we come to Jesus Christ by faith for forgiveness, he's going, what sin? What sin? It no longer exists. But the devil's crying out, you know that you're guilty. And we're saying, I've already blown it. But the grace of God is saying, there is therefore now no condemnation. The accusation is even done away with. See, sin for those who are saying, living the Christian life becomes a lot like many of you men when you get a brand new pickup truck. What happens when a man gets a brand new pickup truck? See, he had that old one, and when he had that old one, he didn't bother just kind of throwing yard debris and everything in it, throwing all kinds of tools in it. You know, it's already so scratched up, it don't really matter. He would go down any road through the woods, or even if there wasn't a road, he would make one. That's his truck. Go where he wants it to go. But then he gets a new truck, and it almost makes life a little more difficult. Well, I don't, I don't want to get it scratched up. I don't, I don't want to mess my, my truck. I can't go down that road. I can't throw that in there. So you see, what happens when we understand there's therefore now no condemnation? When we understand there is there now for no condemnation, I am clean before Almighty God. I am clean in the eyes of God because I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. I begin to say, you know what? I don't want to put that junk in there. I don't want to go down that road. Why? Because I'm clean before Almighty God. See, this is not a license to sin and say, well, if I'm washed clean, I might as well keep on sinning. No, that's evidence that I didn't get the real thing. But if I truly understand that I'm clean before Almighty God, that there's there now for now no condemnation, and I've been washed clean, then I begin to say, I'm not throwing that in there. I'm not going down that road. I want to live a life pleasing before Almighty God. There are people that just keep continuing sexual sin and gossip and lifelong addictions, saying, you know what, you can't, keep, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. See, here's the problem with that statement. If you are in Christ, you're not an old dog anymore. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. What has God done with my sin? It's been atoned for. It's been covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for that sin. He said it is finished. Listen to what some of the Old Testament verses prophesied concerning what would happen to your sin under the new covenant when Jesus came along. Micah 7.19 says it was trampled under his feet and that it was cast to the bottom of the ocean floor. Psalm 103 and verse 12 says he has removed our sins as far as the east from the west. Why does he say east from west instead of north and south? See, you can go south only so far before you start heading north again, right? But you start going east and west, and you can go forever. See, he has moved our sins forever from us. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, Come, let us reason. Literally, it's come, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jeremiah 31, 34, prophesying of the new covenant, which is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. 
He says, I will remember their sins no more. You know what? God is, God is all-powerful, he, and he's able to forget sins. No, the Bible doesn't say he forgets our sins. The Bible says he chooses to remember them no more. We might bring it up, but he doesn't bring it up. But God, you remember when I... No, I'm not going to remember that. I choose not to remember your sin. That's what it means to be justified, declared righteous, not guilty, set free from all condemnation. Isaiah 38 and verse 17, God casts our sins behind his back and he doesn't look back. Then in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, your sins are blotted out, as he quotes Isaiah. See, sometimes we just don't get it. We, we just don't grasp what it is Christ has done for us. And we choose to live a life under condemnation when he has already set us free. There's a song that I've come to like a lot, and my, my kids listen to this song a good bit. And I really stopped to think about the words. You know, a lot of times with, with a lot of great songs that are out there, we get so caught up. We, we love the music. We love the beat and that sort of thing that we don't stop and listen to the words. And, and uh, this is one of those songs I thought, you know, we're just kind of wearing out. I hear that too much. And then I stop and I listen to the words. And so I want to read those words. I'm not going to sing it to you this morning because that would just kind of quench the spirit. But, but I'm going to read the words to you because I think it says a lot about what it means to be set free from condemnation. It's by Matthew West, and it's called Hello, My Name Is. And he says, Hello, my name is regret. I'm pretty sure we have met. Every single day of your life, I'm the whisper inside that won't let you forget. Hello, my name is defeat. I know you recognize me. Just when you think you can win, I'll drag you right back down again till you've lost all belief. These are the voices, these are the lies, and I have believed them for the very last time. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I've been saved, I've been changed, I have been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I am no longer defined by all the wreckage behind. The one who makes all things new has proven it's true. Just take a look at my life. What love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. I am a child of the one true king. Well, when we get to Romans 8 verse 34... Let me just go ahead and give you a taste of what's to come. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, is there a lawyer? Is there a prosecuting attorney who could get a conviction in your life and can condemn you to hell forever for your sin? Yes, it's Jesus Christ. But by the way, at the moment you receive him as Savior and Lord, and you are declared righteous, not guilty, Jesus is no longer your prosecutor. He has become your advocate, and he speaks on your behalf. So the only one who could condemn you is the one who died to save you. And so who are you in Christ? Just a sinner saved by grace or a child of the one true king? A new creation. 
Folks, next week we'll talk about being set free from the power of sin. No longer under obligation. But we'll never be able to grasp that until we deal with this. Set free from condemnation. Because I sense that there are many of you that struggle with condemnation. But you don't know what I've done. Listen, Jesus knows, and He died for that sin. Would you bow your heads with me?